<laughs> we're back. <laughs> All right, Chris, we're ready for your next round of questions. Okay, we've got some good ones here. I'm sure the timer will come on any moment. This is a question to, I think, all of you, really. What do you as ministers and staff need from us to get through these next months? Grace, <laughs> flexibility, patience, creativity. Those are some things that come to mind that I think also this congregation has in spades. I, I, it feels amazing to have that question asked because I know that's the type of community we are, is that we're asking that question. I think what we need is for like partnership in, in the mission, which is our work, right? Like, I think we're going to be faced with a lot of different challenges, whatever road we take. And so it would be just kind of who we are as a congregation, but it would be, you know, amazing if we had, you know, this sense of, you know, our work is to unleash courageous love. We might have to do it different ways because of the realities of our time. And so let's like release our, like our own sense of like, this is the way it has to be and partner on like what we're doing together. Um, and that's like both a practice that I'm trying to take up as releasing my own projections of what I think things need to be. But if that was the kind of attitude that we all brought, it would be amazing. Um, I, the only thing I'd add is, uh, we need you to keep showing up and I mean, no matter where you're at, I know that, um, there's a piece of this sustained, um, reality we're in kind of makes us all want to check out from anything. Um, but we really, we really need everybody to keep showing up in whatever ways you can, because we're only a community because we're, we're here together. There is, I mean, I, I, it's like the main lesson of the pandemic and church pan, version of pandemic, which is there, the church is us. There's no foothills without people showing up. So I, it, it is a beautiful thing, the way we've been able to show up together over this time and keep at it. Nice. So question is, uh, we signed the Foothills UU membership book when we joined three years ago. It was emotional. What is the history of this book? So when I joined my first UU church when I was 17, the minister pulled me aside and said, for centuries, this free choice that you're making to join a heretical denomination could have led to your death, imprisonment, and torture, um, which was a very high bar, of course. She said that before I signed. Um, and so, what? of course, that's not the case right now. There, there are not many people persecuting Unitarian Universalists, um, but that has, that has been the case in the past. And the, the membership book, the history of it, really is the written record of who the people are that have been a part of our church, which is to say the church. And Gretchen just said, like, showing up, like, we are the people who show up. And so that book is that record, right? It's the record of all of those commitments that have been made to show up and be a part of this church to move from not only receiving, but to making sure it's here for another generation. 
And when you read through the, the names and the generations of that book, you feel the way that this church has been a part of this community from really its inception. And that how there have been families that have formed this church, you know, grandparents and grandchildren still active. And so really it's the story of our church that's contained in, in, in a book in, that is kind of vinyl covered and doesn't look overly important and yet really contains who we are at our, at our essence. Hmm. Here's a great follow-on question to that. And the first one, when I tell others about Foothills, it feels wrong to call it a church, mostly because I don't want them to associate it with the traditional, traditional meaning. How do you describe UU to those wary of religion? Um, you know, I usually talk about what I love and I try to speak to, try to listen for what, um, what the person's longing for. So, um, in that, you know, a sense of, you know, I think we're all longing for community and connection and, uh, we're longing for a place that we can journey together. So, um, you know, I think the thing that, that I've watched folks do is they'll hesitate to talk about the spiritual spiritual component of the church. They'll emphasize things like the like our justice and outreach, which is, you know, important. But what I found is actually a lot of people are longing for a place where we can um, ask big questions together and engage spiritual tools and frames in answering those, but aren't caught up in the... Um, in the pitfalls of um, some of the more traditional creedal churches. So um, I, I try not to shy away from that because I think it actually, you end up um, missing out on the thing people are longing for. So there's no one right way, just go for it. Excellent. Here's one, um, how can I shift from being a fact, belief, and opinion-driven person and orient to the world and the people I encounter more out of my deepest sense of values in such polarized and dangerous feeling times? Well, I, I wonder if that is a question of empathy like wondering about just bringing that tool of wonder to an exchange. Because when I think about a fact, opinion, or well, I'm trying to think of the other thing, I mean, those sound like uh, sort of tidy items that live inside of you. And you're wondering how to regard somebody and how to live your life based in your values. So, you know, I think to see what it's like to move through the world, wondering what other people's experiences are like, could be a good place to start. That's the first thing that comes to mind for me. One the only thing that I'd add is just that, oh, oh, sorry, Sean. Just gonna say one practice that I've taken up that has been really helpful for me recently is as I'm engaging with any person, I try to focus at least 50% of my 
um, my inner attention on my breath, just noticing my own breathing. And that, and that very act, well, it seems like it may seem like you're distracting yourself. What it does is it creates this sense of like a difference that there's me and then there's someone else and noticing me and noticing where I end, which is in the movement of my breath and where another person begins helps me to ground in uh, and access the wonder that Elaine is, was talking about or the, the curiosity. And so just that, that shift in focus has helped me be more open um, to others and less attached to myself because I, I, I'm less reactive to, to what other people um, bring into the conversation because I want to correct them or because what they're saying worries me and you know challenges one of my opinions. Just like that noticing of where our bodies are in space um, has, has really helped me as I encounter people who are different and people who even share the same perspectives as me. Um, I, the only thing I was going to add was just, um, I think that was really good about the breath. I, I, I was going to add, like, just to ask yourself what, first of all, rationality and facts is all relative. Um, I mean, facts obviously are facts, but we are, um, we often fool ourselves into thinking that we are being rational when actually we are just as driven by our um, emotions and our values as anyone else. Um, so that's the first. And then the other thing is just what's often um, we turn to those, those things that we feel are hard and fast and something we can prove as a way of deflecting from our own vulnerability. And so just being in touch with you know, what's the thing you're trying to defend? What's the value that's at risk for you? And what, what are you afraid of? And what are you, what's the softness and tenderness in you? And try to be in touch with that. This is really a beautiful conversation. And I wish we had time to go through all the questions. The one that I think we can wrap up, which I think really speaks to where we are is uh, when despair as, such as Haiti or other ac actions are happening, calls us to act, to donate, to pray, or to breathe, and it feels so pitifully not enough. What can we do? Don't let that stop you. I think, um, I think part of our job in life is to learn how to hold pain and suffering um, and things we can't fix without closing our hearts. And so I think learning how to sit with that struggle and yet keep an open, loving heart is our work. So stay in it, do what you can. Don't let your heart shut down. I think what, what comes to mind for me, I love your answers, Gretchen and Sean, and I just love your brains and hearts. <laughs> um, I just think about how reactive I often feel when I encounter, especially on social media or with news online, when I'm receiving information about these events, I feel really 
activated. I feel this is like desperate activation. Uh, like I need to do something right now. And often if I stay in that place, then I'm just going to toggle between two modes. I'm going to feel either really reactive and like I have to do something to fix it right now in this moment. And maybe that is a good time. Uh, and yes, that's a good time to make a donation or to amplify a message about how people can help. But I feel like then I go right from there into, oh, why there's zero time left. I wasn't watching the time. Into shutting down. So you know what? I'm going to observe our time because I can also see that it's 10.05 AM. So I'll, I'll cut off my answer there. <laughs> Thank Thanks. you so much. Thank you so much, Chris. It was great to be with you. And um, this year's rounds of, of questions were so wonderful and um i think you'll be able to go in and review other people's questions so and keep keep enjoying each other's really important um struggles and questions together and we use these questions to help us form the worship series that we do throughout the year so if your question wasn't answered now the, trust that it probably will find its way into a service in the future absolutely